So guys, I'm an adult today. Um, Houndstooth Blazer. I well, Houndstooth Blazer. I went to RC Willie today, and I walked in, and the guy was like, "Can I help you, sir?" And I said, "No, thank you," because guess what, guys? I'm wearing a suit jacket, and my car is not smoking. But I wanted to talk my about something smoked. a little bit different. I walked in. What does your car and I'm, smoke? Dads or. Gel pens. So I'm in RC Willie and I'm walking around looking for a recliner because I'm officially old now and I need a recliner so I can go home and just sit back and, and survey my, my domain like a drug lord. Gain your dad bod weight on. No, 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 no dad bod. I'm gonna no. be like the guy from GTA, like just no, spelt in my I'm expensive just, A leather chair. I'm just imagining you sitting in your chair and Jade coming in and just putting a weighted blanket on you and you're never moving. He's <laughs> like, Kyle. Hey, thank you, honey. I have one. <laughs> I'm getting um, one tomorrow. Um, so they're not. heavy. But back to I the point here, guys. Calendar. I was walking through the little section that has all of these recliners in it, and there's like recliners that do everything. It's like this one has like a massage in it. This one opens your cat food. Like you know, like there, there's something for everyone, including right. Jen. Your um, cat food. It's got a cat. Seat there's a scratching next to it. post <laughs> mounted to the top. It Perfect. looks like a trucker chair. But either way, me and um, Trish will do great with that. <laughs> I saw this lady, and at first I was like. Oh no! Because it was one of those massage chairs like you see at the mall, oh where boy. where you like melt into the thing, and it looks like it's stealing your brain waves. Uh-huh. Like you're waiting for them to be like my soul. <laughs> like so, <laughs> this this woman was probably 85, and you guys, sorry listeners, you can't see this, and that might keep us at a PG rating because I'll describe this, it to you. This woman <laughs> is in the chair, leaned back, and I, I shit you not, like this. Back is arching. Eyes maybe rolling. I like literally had to like it was like I was on my phone, I was like that chair. Madam, can I join you? (laughs) I I immediately was just like, oh lordy, that chair is giving her things her husband has never done. (laughs) And then I realized it's because it actually picks you up. Because no, I went and tried it afterwards. He's like, oh, you're done. I went and sat down, and I'm like trying to pretend to be all fancy. I checked first. I was like, was there anything in that chair? So I sat down, and I was like, what is this chair? And it was like, oh, oh, indeed. Where have you been all my life? It just like it was like being at a freaking chiropractor. Like it would like pick your middle back up and then drop it and like pop all your vertebrae. And I was like. I understand the face. And now another person walks in and they see you oh, and yeah. contorting in the chair. They're like, oh Me my over God. there making a walrus face. Like, so it was... See, they're curious. My, and my, they're only curious when no one else is looking. <laughs> Long story short. And that's how bisexuals came about. <laughs> Long story we short. We to cut this Everybody should off. go to the R.C. Willie and check out the pansexual chair. <laughs> Where you came from. That's a beautiful intro. Thank you. You guys are welcome. (laughs) 
Welcome to Old Wives. <clears throat> We're back with Zane and, of course... Hey, Zane! And, Hello. And, of course, our <laughs> hostess with the most is Jen. Hi, guys. <laughs> I know you missed me. <clears throat> I think we should just dive in. Yeah. <clears throat> so, if you haven't figured it out from our <clears throat> season, season finale from last season, last episode, in this episode... We're kind of leading somewhere with what Zane's going to tell us. And that's why we're just going to dive into it because he's got a lot of information today. I do. So um, I know we were a little bit scattered with uh, MK Ultra, but this one's going to be a lot more concise. So he says that, but I feel like it came out real good. Mm, boy. <laughs> so I mean, considering how far of odd tangent, tangents we go, he did very well. So today we're going to be discussing some kind of controversial topics, and one of those is going to be gun rights. Now, I want to bring up to the listeners. I've that shot is, this gun. That is the sound of my Glock 19. I've I shot it. I've shot it. Just in, case, <laughs> just in case no one was clear on that, Jen has shot it. She shot it. She damn near shot it. I All right. did. Really shot. good, too. She done shot it real good. So, I have a Glock 19. I have a concealed carry permit. And in the state of Utah, I can conceal carry a Glock. So Me I too. Yeah, so does Kyle. Jen learned how to shoot from who again? 007, Nintendo that's, 64. That's right. <laughs> and then in the real world? Nintendo 64. And then in the real world? <laughs> I learned from Zane. That's right. And we need to get, we need to find time where you can go and have my dad sign you off so you can get a permit too. Yeah, watch out, bitches. <laughs> and there goes the permit. Just kidding. Sorry, that's not happening. So, no. the reason I bring that up is because I trained Jen on how to shoot because I think that it's important that if you're going to own a firearm, you should know how to safely operate it. You know how to safely operate your car unless you live in Utah. You know how to safely operate, you know, <laughs> machinery if you buy it and you're required to pass certain rules and regulations. And Absolutely. I think it makes common sense that if you're going to own something that can kill somebody, you probably ought to know how to use it. Yeah. Fair disclaimer, those are my opinions. But what would you say if I told you guys that in the past, let's see, wow, 40 years, on several different instances of domestic terrorism, cults committing um, child rape and incest, and the removal of people from different uh, mountainsides, shall we say, the government has always come back to the same issue, and that is that certain far right-leaning groups decide <clears throat> to make these things about firearm legislation <laughs> instead of about the fact that there is a cult armed to the teeth shooting at the ATF. Yes. Do, we, do you guys realize that? I do now. So uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> today specifically about somebody named David Koresh um, <clears throat> and a group of people called the Branch Davidians. Uh, quick history on them. They actually started back in the 1930s. Um, they were headed off by a guy named Victor Houtef, who pretty much never gets talked about other than the fact that he headed off the Branch Davidians. They're actually a branch of the Seven-Day Adventist Church, which... Um, really? I did not know that. They are. Okay. So it's, it's a little bit hard to say that, and I don't want to destroy anybody's religious beliefs here because I don't, I don't know for sure. But essentially, I do know that they came from the Seventh-day Adventists. I hesitate to say that they are a branch of them, though. I, I want to make sure I'm clear on that because it's kind of like saying the FLDS church is a branch of the LDS church. not accurate. Right. So they started out within the confines of the Seventh-day Adventist church, but they are a completely separate entity, and nothing that they did in any way reflects what the Seventh-day Adventists believe today, as far as I'm aware. Right. So let's just but be really clear But do they believe similar things? Because, I mean, that's what the FLDS is. They yeah, exactly. So their, really their core concepts things. came from there. Actually, Houtef, the guy who started the, the church, was actually an avid believer in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but he had a different view on what the Bible said and what it meant. 
and he was actually excommunicated from the Seventh-day Adventist Church because of mm. it. So when he was excommunicated, the church he started was in California. Um, that's where he started the Branch Davidians. NorCal! And <laughs> they actually left California to go to Waco because it was far away from people. It wasn't the cult it became at that point. It was actually genuinely just a religious movement where he believed something different from the church he had initially founded. Oh, or he was initially a part of. To... <laughs> the, the only difference is this. Um, he never became a cult leader. Um, How to live to a decent age and then gave the reins of power over to somebody who had kind of an interesting name, Vernon Howell. Vernon! That name sounds super familiar. I'll tell you why. Because Vernon Howell is David Koresh. Oh. It's the same person. So... Basically, what ends he up changed happening? Changed his name to David Koresh, and it's it's got biblical rooting. So King David, and then I can't remember what Koresh means. But basically, David Koresh changes his name somewhere between 1989, when he takes the reins of power. He was 30 years old, uh-huh. and later on, when when things started to get a little more real, we don't <laughs> and really ladies, have. What a smoke show! <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's not. He's like if a lawnmower had glasses. Yeah, but, um, uh, <laughs> that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> He, he, he would okay. give these, like, fire and brimstone <laughs> sermons. And if you ever get a chance, um, I would say listen to one, because they're utterly terrifying. And he has his audiences just captivated. Now, captive is kind of the key phrase there, and I did not plan that, because he brought everybody out to the Waco compound. And once again, when it was formed, it was not built for isolation. And that's where he's different from most cult leaders. Most of the time, here's how a cult functions. For instance, Jim Jones's cult. Mm-hmm. He started in the inner city. People would come to him. Uh-huh. He was still a liar. He was still a cheat. <clears throat> He right. has instances recorded of him doing faith healings where it was actually his receptionist in a wheelchair with fake casts on. Oh. And he came, she came up to the stage and said she hadn't walked in 20 years and he whacked her on the head and she popped up right and jigged her on the stage. Found out it was his receptionist. Literally, no, literally, she did a dance around the stage. Love it. I can walk! Jesus healed me! No, it's Jim Jones needing affirmation. Attention. Gotcha. But, so he's very different in that Jim Jones took everybody to Guyana after he had a cult following, not before us. And here, they willingly came to Waco, out in the middle of nowhere, and it was, it's relatively close to an established city. You know, Waco, Texas is still there, and it was not founded by the Branch Davidians. So that's what's a little bit different about this guy. So, but it was Waco, before they got there, just a small city, or was it an actual, like, Waco city? is still a relatively small city, comparatively. Not thanks to Chip and Joanna Gaines, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Real estate has really shot up in that town because of sure that. Sure Which I Love find hilarious because, you know, Waco. Either way. Um, <laughs> right. Scenic Waco. Wait. Um, so, basically, they go out. They have this place. It's called Mount Carmel. That's what they ended up naming it. And it's this rather large compound. Now, it actually has kind of a pop culture following today. Um, if you have ever played the game, I guarantee you, you guys haven't. But there's a game called Rainbow Six Siege. What if I told you yes? Um, I would be like, no, you're not. You're lying. Um, <laughs> Rainbow Six Siege, is a, it's, a, it's like a first-person shooter where you compete against other players. But either way, there's a map in there, and it's mm. just called Compound. And it is the exact map from is it? Waco. It is the Waco Compound oh, with a couple cool. of minor changes to it, which I didn't realize They're until like, I was researching Carmel, this article. Because I've played the game. Butter. And I was looking at it, and I was like, holy crap, that's so eerie. And you'll find out why it's eerie as we kind of continue on here. So I need to rewind a little bit for this to be as accurate as possible. We're going to start out with somebody whose name was Bob Matthews. This is the late 80s. Um, So, you know, long hair and 
manliness was only oh. formed through chopping down trees shirtless. Yes! Jen's cup of tea. <laughs> Um, yes, please. So in the late 80s, Bob Matthews, and this is the part where maybe it veers off of Jen's course. I don't know. He was a white supremacist. Oh. Um, <laughs> maybe. And, um, Just a little bit. He lived out in a cabin in Idaho, which sounds, I know, oddly similar to Randy Weaver, but here's the difference. He <clears throat> was a chosen white supremacist, and he was very anti-government, which a lot of them tended to be at that point because they believed that the federal government was trying to enforce um, integration. And they were trying to enforce having the, you know, and I quote this, evil black race come in and, you know, take over the white man. And they actually genuinely believed, and this is actually a good thing in my opinion. What year was this? The 80s, late 80s. It was late, okay. So the in, late 80s? Yeah. yeah, isn't it crazy how it seems so far we're back starting to, to me catch that, up like, with this. That's the crazy part. Yeah. So this is the interesting part. I actually think this is awesome, but the um the I guess you could say kind of the uneven value of <clears throat> the amount of white people per capita versus the amount of new races being introduced into the culture uh-huh. was starting to even out. Mm-hmm. And all of these white supremacist groups were like, oh, this means a white race is going to get exterminated and pretty soon there'll be no white people left. And what would we do without white people, guys? <laughs> so um, as a white person, I Sunscreen feel like... Sunscreen companies would go bankrupt. <laughs> so <laughs> so they, have, they have all of these, like, these total just crazy you know, right-wing conspiracies that are coming out. And he's living out amongst all of these other white supremacists. They're all far, far, far apart, but they meet up at different supremacy groups, uh, you know, mostly for socialization, but also because he was straight a white nationalist. <laughs> but uh, I'm just imagining, like, these racists just being like, hey, we're going to get together. We're going to talk bad about the black neighbors. <laughs> like, are, are you picturing, are you picturing yeah, Homer Simpson's neighbor as a white supremacist? <laughs> Howdy doodly neighbor. We're going to talk about <laughs> How much we hate them damn Jews. Yes, I mean, <laughs> and it's just like this underground of like racists just meeting. Now I'm just picturing secret. Flanders and clan robes and it just works. <laughs> but anyway. Howdy doodly. Howdy doodly, neighbor. Should we got to talk about how much we hate Jews? Um, <laughs> but, um, so. That was good. So, <clears throat> basically, Bob Matthews comes across this book. And I'm amazed I have never heard of it because you guys, it's freaking creepy. So The book? Yeah. It's called The Turner Diaries. And I actually looked it up. You can buy copies of it still, but it it's kind of one of those things that I feel like puts you on a no-fly list. Um, oh. like, like the, the Anarchist Turner Handbook. Diaries? The Turner Diaries. It's a book written, I believe, in the late 70s about a group of anarchists that go <laughs> around and they uh, shoot government agents and blow oh, stuff my. up. All in the name of avoiding integration. Oh. And there are the, uh, what is it called? Like, What's it called when you integrate two races together? It's like um... mudblood. If you watch Harry Potter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Death Eaters. Um, so mudblood. Oh, um, oh, they're called the Diversity Police oh, in the okay. book. And so, like, their whole thing is like, we're going to take back America and all this stuff. But at the very Gosh. end, and here's the interesting part: at the very end of the book, it culminates with them driving a bomb into the FBI headquarters in Washington and blowing it up. In 1995, a certain Ooh. Timothy McVeigh drove Ooh. a bomb up to the Alfred P. Murrah FBI building in Oklahoma City and blew the front off of it. Yeah. And he is, in a way, you'll find out, related to Bob Matthews. So Bob Matthews... <laughs> Jen's got the jails. I do. Bob Matthews, after reading this book, is like, that's the best idea ever. So he decides to make <clears throat> this group of other people that are like-minded with him 
go do this. Like they're like, let's freaking do it. And they form a group called the order and the order goes out and they start doing robberies and they start doing bombings and shootings. And they're essentially like a hit squad that goes around in the name of white supremacy um, and just kills people. So what? that brings us How to... How long did that go for? Oh, that's the freaky part. This went from like the mid-80s to the late Wait, 80s. this one group this got one away group. with all that. It's very different back then. You know, forensic Damn. science was not nearly where it is today. You gotta remember right. that. True, we, we are true. in the age of people finally being captured for what they've done. But and, I mean, it's also the age of like, technology is just barely starting to boom. Which is awesome because people are getting crazy. exonerated and people are also getting convicted, which is great. So yeah. Yeah. here's where it becomes <laughs> interesting. So there was a radio commentator and I actually listened to a couple of his radio shows recorded from from the 80s his name's Alan Berg uh picture an angry Steven Spielberg like you know like the elbow patches and everything like okay he was a Jewish radio host and he gave exactly zero on the shit scale like yeah he was like the inverse white supremacist white supremacists would call into his radio show to call him all kinds of things he'd be like I don't give a shit you're not letting me talk shut up and he'd hang up the phone he's this old 80 year old dude and you're like, wow. Because, like, like, that was the 80s. That was before that was, like, Made fairly routine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so Nowadays, it was, it was really like, cool. Oh. He didn't say, I don't give a shit. But, like, but you, like you get the idea. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he really was kind of a pioneer. Like, he just didn't care. And he, like, really stood up to this, this establishment of white supremacy. Now, he was not baiting them. He wasn't being like, ha-ha, I'm going to attack the white supremacists. But it was right. very much out of the ordinary for someone to do that. And, unfortunately, um, he pissed off the order. And oh, shot to no. death in his driveway by the order. <clears throat> and they couldn't find anybody to pin it on. So it went unsolved yeah. for a long time. It's my, and there's like no, there's no clues. There's nothing about him. So they're just like sitting there trying to figure out, okay, who did this? Like where, where did this come from? And why would someone kill Alan Berg other than the obvious, you know, right. yeah. in, the implications, I guess. Well, nothing happens until late, I believe it was 1989. So the same year that Koresh took power at the Branch Davidian headquarters. Um, they robbed a Brinks truck, like one of the trucks that hauls money for people. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the day, just like these guys. Was this like pre-being armored or were they like... No, they were armored. There was an armored truck and they just robbed it. There's some pictures. I'll, I'll send them to you, Kyle, so you can post them. Okay. But there's this like doesn't... bullet holes in the windshield. It looks like freaking oh, Afghanistan. Okay. Like, like there's just like shots like all the way across the windshield. They dragged the guy out of the car, shot him, took all the money, and they got away. There was one problem, though. During the heist... Matthew dropped his, or not Matthew, Matthews, rather. Bob Matthews dropped his pistol, and he left it lying on the floor. Now, Bob Matthews, being a good American man, had his gun registered with the U.S. government. And the U.S. government said, oh, Bobbert. Oh, Bobby. And they dragged him in, and he cracked like a nut. So they eventually ended up bringing in all the members of the order to stand trial for the murder of Alan Berg. And the reason that this brings us around is that they got Bob, right? They, they arrested him. But through a series of events, he ended up being freed briefly, and he went back to his cabin. While he was at his cabin, they said, hey, Bob, we need you to come back out. And he said, yeah, hell with that. Did he that. get free because he tattled? I don't remember for sure, but I believe mm. so. Yeah. Um, and that may be inaccurate. I can't remember exactly the situation there. He either, mm. he either tattled or he actually was able to escape one of the two. But he ended up back at his cabin. And this is where things become rather interesting. Uh So we remember Randy Weaver. Randy Weaver was, you know, sitting in his cabin when the FBI came I was just like, I was like, wait, what's his name? I was like, 
Like yeah, Randy came. Randy, Randy's sitting there in his cabin, and the FBI shows up. Right. Well, the same thing happens to Bob Matthews. Now, Bob Matthews is a piece of shit, and he deserved yeah. the fact that the FBI showed up as opposed to Randy Weaver, who yes had some questionable ties, but didn't deserve what he got. So, they show up, and they it starts a standoff, and Bob says, "I'm not coming out," and they say, "Bob, come out." And you know, it's the usual FBI in the late '80s where right. whatever they said, we can take about thirty percent of it. It's probably accurate. So, yeah, literally. It Even ends, nowadays, it ends in a full blown gunfight, um, and Bob Matthews, being anti government and prepared to take on the federal government, has thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds in his house. Like, the dude probably slept on a bed made of machine gun rounds. Like, <laughs> that dude. sounds so uncomfortable. But, yeah. like, <laughs> but it got really, really bad. So it's a very small cabin. He made it with his own two hands, and he's he fought with him for hours, just firing round after round after round out the door, and night falls. And the firefight stops, and the FBI's like, well, we've got to see where he's at. So they fired in what are called lighting rounds. So rounds that light up the area. They have a phosphorescent tip. Um, they're also called tracer rounds. Um, why they chose to do that as opposed to using a flare or something like that, I don't really understand. Because if it's a... What does it do? So tracer rounds are meant to tell you where you're shooting at night. Um, most times they just use night vision at this point, but in, back in the day it worked really well because they glow when they fire off, so you can see it going all the way out to the target. But then it, it's so quick that it goes, so you don't see it glow that You can long, actually right? see it glow pretty if long. It's, okay. It glows, like a, it glows yeah. about oh, okay. the size of a tennis ball in like big darkness. So like... Because it, it heats up. It's phosphorus. Oh, okay. It's a big phosphorus tip. So okay. you can see him. So they were shooting those to see him. That one is still questionable for me. But either way, it sparked a fire in his house. Mm. And rather than getting out of the house, he went down with the ship. Um, well, wouldn't a flare cause a fire, don't you think? If you shot it high enough, it wouldn't be a problem. The difference is you're shooting yeah. it right into his house. Because uh, a flare up in the sky will light everything below it. And it burns out ideally before it hits the ground. It's oh, still okay. a fire hazard, but, you know. <clears throat> but it's a better fire hazard than, than shooting there. a freaking tracer round into someone's house, which are, by the way, Are we thinking intentional alone. with that one? Well, here's the, here's the interesting yeah. part. House catches on fire. House burns down. And inside the house, all the rounds are cooking off, right? Oh, so, my gosh. So the dude was... He was shredded by the time it was our piece of cheese. Um, but they... Swiss. <laughs> In, in the in the rubble, they found his copy of um, the, uh, oh my goodness, what is it called? I have the note here. The Turner Diaries, um, which mm. is why they knew that that was kind of what had inspired this whole thing. And then the order, of course, kind of one by one came in and they were able to piece it all together. But it led to the point that I want to get to today. Domestic terrorism at that point became very real for the U.S. government because they realized, yeah. holy crap, this guy got away for the last like five years. Right. With murder and bombings and robberies to fund this operation he had in his brain that would never have worked, but he still got away with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. They show a map on one of the documentaries I watched, and there's like 15 crimes committed across Idaho where he just got away with them. And they're like not small crimes, like murders, like yeah. things today Huge where deals. it would be a big deal yeah. and they'd catch Life them prison, quickly. Done. But I want you to store in your brain the fact that the house burned down before the FBI entered it because that will become very important. And it sparks this whole thing that I, I have now dubbed the, uh, the terror scare of the mid-80s. Because suddenly, they're out looking for other terrorists, right? Shortly thereafter, Ruby Ridge occurs, which sounds almost identical. So it feels to me like the government is so gun-shy of the idea that someone could live off-grid and away from government aid and away from mm. the, the oversight of the federal government that they have just labeled them terrorists at this point. Oh, because dang. not not in an effort to new world order them or anything like that, but oh. they're just kind of like, if it's got the earmarks of terrorism, we yeah. better make sure it happens. Yeah. 
And it actually fed right into Randy Weaver because what ended up happening was they said, we got to put agents in all of these white supremacy camps so this can't happen again. And that's how Randy Weaver... So what's-his-name was before Randy yeah. Weaver? Oh. So Bob Matthews indirectly led to Randy Weaver's death because... Totally. Because uh, the agents were then put into all of these camps and that agent used Randy Weaver as a scapegoat. Uh. So... Basically, we have this whole thing kind of forming, right? There's like this storm cloud on the horizon of, okay, are they terrorists? Are they just Nazis? What are they, right? Because like you can be a Nazi and be an American. Like right. that's how it works. That is so weird. Well, I mean, you know, given the fact that your grandpa died so that we wouldn't be controlled by that country, you know, whatever, you dumb <laughs> Um, so, I don't, I don't have any personal F-U-X. opinions on that. <laughs> Thank you. Don't worry. Sorry, sometimes I say things. <laughs> um, Nobody cussed. So, basically, you know, in America, you can, you can believe that. That's legal. But it's illegal to then take that to the step of being take that a terrorist. Action. And so they have this whole thing that's starting to occur. And now we come all the way back to David Koresh. The FBI, by the way, at this point, was fresh off of Ruby Ridge. Like, literally fresh off of Ruby Ridge. Let me give you a, kind of a lineup. 1978, we have Jonestown. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the beginning of this cult slash terrorism thing. And then in 1978... Well, it's still, like, in the heat of it all. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Cults, at least. Yeah. Well, and then 1978 comes along, so it's the same year, and that's when the first Unibomb happens. So it didn't actually oh. kill anybody, but it was, it was, it was a bomb that right. came through the mail. Yep. 1984, Alan Berg <clears throat> gets killed. So that's, like, a, a high-profile assassination, I guess you could say, by a terrorist group. 1985 the first serious injury from Unabomb occurs. So it's looking more and more like there's this shadow domestic terrorist agency that's happening in America. And then in 1992, so I know seven years later, but still in kind of the same vein, 1992, Ruby Ridge. Now, 1992, and we'll get to this, is also when the investigation of David Koresh begins. So this is just a rough time for the FBI. Do you know, I mean, I know you know years, but do you know down to, like, month time frames? Um, May. May of 92 is when David Koresh's investigation began, and we'll and get into that. And when did Ruby Ridge happen? What month? I can't remember. Okay. I remember it was it was summertime, but, yeah. yeah so Pretty close. Fairly so close. So it was still within months of If I remember correctly, it was, like, late summer, early fall. Okay. It was, like, August when Ruby Ridge happened. Okay. But either way, so <laughs> this whole snafu that's happening is just, like, basically telling them there is domestic terrorism and ideas run riot and it's actually kind of the whole fear that the American populace had just being fanned at that point right it's this idea that the government is coming to take away your guns right. the government is coming to take away your free speech they don't want you to have your own ideas and so people of course being people decide to take it to an extreme and they say government's not coming on my land you know all this stuff granted my house literally has a sign on it that says come back with a warrant but <laughs> so, so, but I'm not surprised no solicitors come back with a warrant <laughs> but, but, but the difference here is that you know, it's, that's my legal right. These yeah. people, most of the time, are basically taking it to an extreme, and it's what's causing this this fear. But the FBI really isn't helping themselves by continually overstepping their boundaries right. and militarizing everything. Remember with Randy, they had full-blown helicopters flying into the place that yeah. were military helicopters. They had a military so encampment built up at the base of their freaking house. Like, yeah. So the FBI keeps doing shit like this, and then they wonder why it's a, there's this huge backlash. And so... That's kind of what brings us into nicely into David Koresh. So David Koresh is a is a monolith in his in his own right. He is everything to their culture. He's a prophet in their mind. He has declared himself a prophet. He has quote proven himself to be a prophet mm. um, to all of these various people. And unlike Jim Jones, unlike a lot of other cult leaders, he's not bringing in 
the poll of the week, anybody he can sucker into it, they're coming to him. And yeah. it's That's uncommon. Nuts. And they're they're not isolating themselves, which by the way, isolation is one of the key indicators of a cult leader is making him making them isolated. Yeah. They're isolating themselves. They're coming out to the ranch on their own. Now granted, when they got there, they're eventually over time becomes rules where they can't leave, but it was not initially that way. It wasn't like he brought them there and then said, you can't leave. So there, it's this odd kind of like honey It's like trap. they wanted to stay and then eventually it was like, okay, well, now you really can't. Well, it was, it was more along the lines of they wanted to stay and then it wasn't even that they really wanted to leave. They believed he was a prophet. Like... It's so nuts And we'll, we'll, there's... I, mean, I got a juicy one for you in a minute here, but okay. So just kind of... And there's not a whole ton of timeline on this because obviously no one was embedded in the Koresh cult because mm-hmm, right. they didn't realize there was a problem until 1992. What is the cult called again? Uh, the Branch Davidians. That's right. And they were not a cult to begin with, but they are now. Um, yeah. And, they, and are, they still are out there. There are still Branch Davidians out there. And what? we'll get to that. So, uh, and so from 1989 to 1992, no one is aware that there's an issue, right? They, they, It's just that weird group that lives on the side of the city. So basically, David Koresh, over time, he changes his name somewhere in between 1989 and 1992 when everything went down mm-hmm. from Vernon Howell. And then he declares himself Jesus Christ. So he, oh. so that's one of the oh, no. that's one of the big steps. <laughs> we both are like, towards, oh. <laughs> you, you guys already know it's one of the big steps towards you know being a cultist is deciding that you are a deity that you, right. you know, that you have godlike power. When he decides that he's Jesus Christ, it's because of a lot of factors, but I think partially it was because of his following. I think they may yeah. have made him the monster he was. He had large portions of the Bible memorized that he could just throw out, and they were like. This dude is like divine. Like he understands God. He understands all this stuff. He gets me, and so I think it may have been a creation of his own, you know, of his people's making. Really. Yeah. What right. was your question, Kyle? Well, I didn't. I didn't have a question. I just knew that it. It's just sketch. Cults are just so weird. What's weird to me, though, like with cults, cults, I always think about them like being in like the 70s and stuff like that mm-hmm. and it's weird how fresh this all still is. It's yeah, I mean look at Nexium. insane Nexium. to me. Well, there's still cults today. Yeah, I mean there's still new cults today. Look at Nexium. I mean it's Well, and also insane. If, if you guys plug, plug, plug want a really good podcast, there's a podcast called Cults by Parcast. Um, absolutely outstanding. They do an awesome job. They have an episode on David Koresh. It's not as good as mine, but they have an episode <laughs> on David Koresh. Um... <laughs> So one way he, that he would draw people in back before kind of his snap, I guess we could say, he had something he called harmonization. So the idea was that he could harmonize the Gospels of the Old Testament and the New Testament, which for any Christians out there we know is really hard because the Old Testament is literally the antithesis and sometimes the breaking point of Christian faith because they're right. two very different uh, belief systems. But he had harmonized them. And so that's what drew a lot of the followers that he had in and made him think he was a prophet. He could um. harmonize something that was ancient. Now... And kind of diverse at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and so if you ever go and listen to one of his sermons on YouTube or wherever you can find him, a lot of it is really bullshit. Like, it's just, it's super contrived. It's kind of like the same concept of, you know, like you've heard, well, maybe you haven't, but it's it's kind of like the rapture where, like, the math doesn't make sense and it just kind of feels, you know, cobbled together. But he does it very similarly, and this is going to sound so biased, so sorry. He does it kind of like how Trump talks. Um, so if Trump's asked a direct question that contradicts his belief system, here's how he'll respond. So he, someone says, Donald Trump, um, you're never going to build the wall. You don't have the funding for it. 
the wall, I like the wall, the wall is the wall, I like the wall a lot. You see immigrants, immigrants are, immigrants are the worst because the wall, we're going to fund the wall, and the wall is great. How is that persuasive, though? That is not... But the thing is this, he doesn't answer the question. He doesn't have to. He just tosses the platitude in the middle, and he states what they just said back to them, but in a positive way. And I feel like that's what David Koresh was really doing in a lot of these sermons. Yes, and I, but this is where good... Con artists. Speaker, yes, but also good, like, public speakers come from, because they avoid the question, and so you sit there and think, oh, well... Yeah, they're right. Because you, you, you came up with your own answer with the words that they were saying, and so that you think that they answered the question. Mm. Um, well, I mean, I, I work in outbound sales. I can't say where, but I work in outbound sales. Um, I work business to business, and so I often have to cold call companies. That's how you get people to listen to you. Yeah. Like, I have a bunch of preset responses that I literally rehearse, and because I can do that, I can get people to, to listen to me. Because right. most of the time you call someone on the leader. phone. Oh my gosh. Also, guys, I would just like you to carve some things in your arms. <laughs> <laughs> Zane's name is carved in Mud blood. Um, <laughs> um, but um, that's, that's honestly why I think he got such a huge following, because he harmonized the Gospels, right? Yeah. But this is when shit kind of hits the fan. Um, he declared male celibacy for everyone in the camp and removed their marital statuses. So, if you were married, you were no longer married. But, he then declared himself the harem leader. I feel like there was another cult that did so that. So he's there are There are a lot of cults that do this. Matter of fact, I can think of like three off the top of my head, can't name them to be honest with you. But I kind of feel like the family did this a little bit. The family did do this. There, There's also a cult, the, something... Manson. There was a cult Ow. in Chicago that did it. There, there are a lot of cults that did it. Um, I feel like sec- I keep calling it Sexium. Nexium did that as well. Sexium. <laughs> That's the porn version of it. Somebody's <laughs> got something on their mind. <laughs> I'm Googling it's, this. It's because I I have a joke with Katie and Kendra because I go to their house and we watch Sexium. True, true crime documentaries and stuff. I watch Sexium a couple times a week. And but. so we were that just, calling it now? So we made a joke <laughs> saying that we have our own cult and it's called Sexium. But um but then Nexium did that. Where it's all, oh, let's invite the women in. And you can only have sex with the one guy. But he's going to... The concept is, it's like divine... So there's there's a term for it, I can't think of it. But it's essentially the concept that you are privileged to be having sex with this guy. You're lucky to be there. It's it's a blessing. It's sacred. It's like if it's, Jason it's, Momoa... <laughs> I'm sorry, but if Jason Momoa were to start a cult, Jen would be... <laughs> I mean, sure, Jen. We can run along this thread, because I was just about to bring up Warren Jeffs. So Jason Momoa, for instance. Oh, um, so Warren Jeffs was another one who used to... And I think the phrase is like... Uh, Michael uses it in the office by accident. Yeah. It's like the it's where the king gets to deflower the maiden. The, that whole concept. That makes me think of Braveheart. No, that is Braveheart. It's yeah. the same concept. So Warren Jeffs was the same night. way. Aww, so basically, that's that's what he decided. David Koresh was like, okay, so women are only allowed to have sex with me. And this is where the FBI kind of got a foot in the door. Right. Because David Koresh was and has always been a pedophile. Basically, I know. He, he is horrible. Oof. Anyway, so basically, it actually comes back to a much younger time. When he was, I think, 13 or 14, somewhere in there, um, he was very interested in the eight-year-old daughter of his pastor. Oh, this geez. is David Koresh. David Koresh. I mean, oh, wouldn't I shock you if it wouldn't shock you if it was Warren, would it? Yeah, that's yeah. what um, I thought you were saying. Yeah. And, and here is actually kind of where I was hoping to time travel a little bit and do a little bit of kind of fun facts for you. Dive in, kids. Buckle up. 
So we basically we kind of started when David officially took over the church, right? Properly, rather. Um, and what year was this? Well, this was 1989. Okay. Going way back though, to it doesn't really list an age, but um, as a young adult, he led an armed insurrection against the Branch Davidians, where he burned down their administration building and raped the current leader's wife, and got away with it. And how old was he this time? Probably, I would guess, in his early 20s. Um, that is so young. And got away with it, and they don't explain why. He just was never taken to task for it, possibly because it was the Branch Davidians, and they were kind of the tinfoil in their hat people, where they, he burned our administration building down and raped my wife, and they're like, yeah, sure he did, buddy, go back. You know, but like, Aww. it's it's yeah. this whole kind of feeling of it. But either way, he does all of this and still ends up in church leadership later on because everybody who ever got in his way was somehow or left the church Ooh, is- <laughs> hashtag Clintons <laughs> just Same. reminds me of uh, who's the leader of Scientology okay, okay so David we Miscavige got, yes David Miscavige is the one that's the leader of um, Scientology and that he remind that what you just explained that he's people just randomly disappear so he can be the leader that now, totally has happened now, there. disappear I, I want to clarify something here most of the time they just left um, it wasn't quite like he was disappearing them. I don't think David Crush was that intelligent, for one. Um, it was more that they left, and I think probably wisely, they would just get out of his way. Um, because despite his prophetic opinions and how you know sagely he was, this fool was not screwing around. So at this point, let's just kind of recap here a little bit. He's declared himself as the son of God. Um, he has declared that he is the only person who's allowed to have sex with any of the women in the camp. And the women in the camp and the men of the camp know that he's sleeping with their underage daughters. Um, and they don't do anything about it? Not a thing. Because they feel like he's the savior. He's the he savior. whatever he wants. And it's not even like one of the cults where they're saying, oh, I mean, we're just scared of him. They just genuinely thought he was right. Like, believed it? Yeah. Because he would cite biblical passages where underage girls are basically just kind of like baby makers, because that was how it worked in the Old Testament. Once again... Now, did these underage girls believe that, too? They were 10 years old. They didn't believe anything. <laughs> There's a book I want to read. It's a novel, so it's not really based on truth or anything. But it's from a little girl's perspective of growing up in a cult, and then they come in, the government comes in and breaks the cult I think I've apart. read this. What is it called? I don't remember, but I do want to read it. I read it in, like, middle school. And then she's and then she ta- she is given to her real mom because she was kidnapped, but she doesn't. she's like, I don't know who this woman is. Was I it Anshinamkara? Like is, is that what the book's called? No. Because I've read one and it was that. That was the premise. But either way. Could be. Basically, I mean, like, to answer your question, they probably didn't know what was happening, most of the underage girls. But at the same time, at 10 years old, if that's, not, if that's all you've it's ever formative. known, that's You your, don't know what's wrong either. Yeah, that's too. your world. Well, and especially um, if that's what you've been raised under, the concept yeah. that he is sacred and that for some reason this is a rite of passage. Lots right. of cult leaders do that, by the way. If Absolutely. you listen to Plug, 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 the podcast series about it, you'll hear that a lot. But... Yeah. That's kind of where the wheels start to come off. And this is where he really cements himself as a definitive cult leader. He declares that there will be a nuclear holocaust pretty soon. I just want to throw in there, biblically, this is why it says that you need to trust doctrine by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Because just one person coming in saying this is everything is not... It's that one person's beliefs and that one person... and they're pushing things onto you. But if you're if you've got multiple people that are telling you similar things, that's more trustworthy. Like let me put this in layers in terms. church, I guess. If you're gonna do anything, you look that shit up on every <laughs> site you can. <laughs> exactly. So basically 
he declares this nuclear holocaust, and then he says that an invading army will come and try to take them away. And you know, basically the the, the standard cult apocalypse drivel. Now the problem is that where did that just come from? There was a oh, I thought somebody threw something over my shoulder, and I was like, "You have freaking ghosts, and you're totally no." There was cool. a little <laughs> bring out the Ouija. <laughs> Pretty sure you can get like an app Ouija board. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, like let's do it. Everyone. I think my Ouija board's broken. It just keeps saying a. Hey. But either way, um, <laughs> but uh, so he had all of this stuff is basic, you know, basic cult one hundred and one, and this is where the wheels start to kind of come off. In nineteen ninety two, in May. A mailman delivering packages to them drops a box. It breaks open, and inside are the, the husks of pineapple grenades. What are pineapple grenades? Pineapple grenades are what you picture when you picture a grenade. They're okay. round. They have the kind of, like, lumps on them. It looks like a pineapple okay. under the sea. Gotcha. Um, oh. So it's just the shells of them. Yeah, it's a grenade hole. So they find a whole thing of it. It's still illegal to own those if you're planning on changing them into weapons. You can, I think you can own a grenade <laughs> hole inside the U.S. with no problem as long as it's decommed. But right. the quantity of them was what was worrisome. So the FBI starts to kind of poke around, which you would have thought they would have done earlier based on the responses they got, but they start to get responses and people, yeah, we hear like automatic weapons fire pretty commonly. And automatic weapons, to clarify for any of our listeners who aren't clear on this, uh, they're illegal. You can't own a weapon where when you hold the trigger down, it fires multiple rounds. You can own semi-automatic and anything below that. But they were firing automatic weapons, so clearly they either had access to a dealer that was selling them automatic weapons or they were modifying them, and it turned out, oh. as it came to be, that they were making money from modifying weapons to full auto and selling them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are weapons potentially around still today, modified by the French Davidians, um, that are probably used and utilized Shut in up. crimes that are fully automatic. So they are armed to the teeth, they have automatic weapons, they have grenades and explosives, and the federal government is... Worried. So you're saying when people yeah. are hearing them, hearing the gunshots and pop, potentially bombs, they're hearing them from the compound. Yeah. Okay, in Waco. Yeah, and you would think someone would report that, but then I remembered they're in Texas. So, um, <laughs> so they're like, oh, it's just Johnny uh, shooting his cat. I'm sure. I'm sure it's just them damn branch Davidians. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, and then they hop back in their Confederate mobile, <laughs> and then turned around and took off. But either way, um, so. <laughs> Sorry, Texas. <laughs> yeah. All of our viewership in Texas just ended. I lived in Texas for two I don't years. Think it I love ever you began, all. But we're good. <laughs> so basically, they, they start to get all these reports of different things that are happening. And on, on Sunday, February 28th, 1993, the FBI executed a raid on, um, on the Waco compound. And it didn't go well. Um, I do want to break this down. I actually read. 51 pages of information on how this siege happened because it was 51 days long. Okay, I can't stay in my office for eight hours. Picture being stuck in a compound with other people. It was 51 days? For 51 days. 51 freaking days. So, for the sake of audience sanity, I broke it down and just picked the days out of it that were the most important. They have alcohol? (laughs) (laughs) Jen's like, that's the only way I will survive. I'm like, you have to have something to entertain. Yes, Jen, they had alcohol and porn, you'd be fine. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) and it's all Jason Momoa. (laughs) (laughs) Jen's not leaving even after 51 days. I'm like, I'm not going, guys. Sorry. (laughs) So, basically, here's what happens, and I'll go through it real quick. But day zero, so basically, right before the raid happens. There was actually a leak inside of the police force um, that leaked to the Waco Tribune Herald, and I feel like it's important to call them out because it was the Waco Tribune Herald who caused kind of a series of events here. They leaked it to them. The reporter alerted the Branch Davidians oh, no. unintentionally. 
So he was driving around looking for the compound. And this truck rolls up and it says, hey, buddy, you lost? And he's like, yeah, I'm looking for the Branch Davidian compound. <gasps> and uh, he says, okay, yeah, what's going on? And he's like, well, there's supposed to be a big raid there later today. Idiot. And the guy said, okay, well, no worries. It's over there. And then he drove back and it was David's number two, um, who was quite a number two. But, Way to be sly. Uh, I'd be like, oh my gosh, you guys. <laughs> he, he shows they up. They found us. Well, he shows We're up and they arm up. Like they just like lock and load. They're ready to go. And the ATF and the, not the ATF at that point, but the, the police force that was there, I think it was actually the ATF. Yeah, the ATF. Decided to use a Trojan horse. Yes, I said Trojan. You may giggle. Shut up. Um, <laughs> I'm mature. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the ATF decides to use a Trojan horse and they put everybody... Oh, this is so ironic. They put everyone in a horse trailer. Um, <laughs> so they put a bunch of FBI agents in a horse trailer, or ATF agents, rather, in a horse trailer. And the difference there, by the way, is the FBI is a federal agency. The ATF is also a federal agency, but the ATF is involved with search and seizure of illegal weapons, firearms, explosives. Uh, where the FBI is involved in federal crimes and tracking those down. So there's right. a distinction there. They both end up being involved, so I feel like it's important we know that. But the ATF shows up to seize the weapons. That's why they're there. That's what the warrant is for. But they also have reasonable cause to believe that David Koresh is assaulting underage minors, but they don't have definitive evidence on that mm. like they do on the firearms charges. So they're, they're hoping they can get in there and get that evidence. Then. They well, if, First off, if they have automatic weapons and they get in and seize those... Threat solved. Not a problem. No one's getting hurt today. Yeah. Um, right. That's the goal. Right. Now, if some dumbass reporter hadn't caused a problem, that may very well have been the end of the story. The FBI sh- or ATF shows up. Bad guys go on the ground. Bad guys go to jail. That's not what happened. They showed up in the horse trailer, and the horse trailer got lit up. Oh. They were waiting for him, and it was a bloody massacre. Uh, well, massacre is a strong word. It wasn't. There weren't that many people killed, but it but was. Still. It was not good. I think the people in Waco still considered a massacre. Well, there's a reason for that, and we'll yeah. get into that. But basically, what happens on day one, and viewers, if you have a strong stomach, I would suggest watching this because it will remind you why it's important that we understand how far we've come. Right. Um, there is footage of four officers on a ladder going up onto the roof of the Koresh compound. They were one of the entry teams. And they break a window. The first three officers go in just like they should. The third one, who is the rear guard, is backing in to the window. He's about to go through the window. And you see about 45 rounds come through the wall behind him where his team was. So you know that they were directly in the line of fire. The first time I watched that, I was probably 18. I'd seen a lot at that point because I was planning on working for the CIA. I was getting uh, intelligence dumps, and I'd seen things. But it made my stomach drop. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know that yeah. there are men who have families that are in that room and that they are definitely dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one on the roof gets hit in the arm or the leg or something like that. And he manages to crawl to safety. He rolls the way he should, crawls to safety with his gun up. He's clearly not hurt too bad, but he's shot. Um, and he hits a ladder and just falls with the ladder off the roof. He's fine. Uh, but he uses the ladder to kind of pendulum himself off the roof. And it's the only footage that they have that's super gripping. The rest of it is a little bit distant because everyone and their dog, and this is telling of American culture, wanted it to be televised. The media was there. Oh, gosh. The media showed up to use it for money. Was it live? Well, of course. Oh, How else are they going to make money? Think about this. The media media monetized Mm -hmm. the murder of FBI agents and American citizens. Yeah, but they still do that. When, they, when there's a mass and, shooting and think they're about it. constantly trying to get not to and yeah and not to not to you know make this too humorous here but I remember so there's a mall near where we live 
And I remember I, uh, mm. I got a news alert that said there'd been a mass shooting at the mall. And it's close enough to where I live that I was concerned. And I pulled it up, and it was two people shot in a drive-by shooting. Both of them were gang members, and they were outside the front door. It was not a mass shooting. It was mm-hmm. a drive-by shooting. But the media sensationalized it to make money. Mm-hmm. The difference here is that they sensationalized actual deaths of people. Both people right. shot at the mall, by the way. They were fine. Yes, being shot is awful, but they were but okay. But they survived. Yeah. So, also, don't be in a gang. Like, <laughs> so, pretty simple. We're in a gang. That's what we are right here, right now. So there, there's a reason that this is super important. And it's not just the fact that people died, which is obviously terrible. But it's the fact that the FBI, not the FBI, sorry, the ATF, was beat at its own game. Yeah. yeah the dude. ATF was just beaten. Do you guys realize how big that is? We watch shows like 24, all these TV shows. In those shows, they're freaking ninjas. They come in and they're gone and everybody's dead and all the bad guys are gone the world's saved. It's not how it works. They showed up. They were outgunned, outarmed, outmaneuvered, outtacked. The greatest country in the world with the best training in the world. And this is to say nothing, by the way, against the ATF or the FBI. They're excellent people that work very hard to keep us safe. But they got beat. Yeah. And this is one thing I really wanted us to notice here. This is something I'm, I've been calling the avenging angel pro- or theory. Uh-huh. Four ATF agents end up dead. It's unconfirmed, but they think about five Branch Davidians were killed in the assault. So it's a fairly even quotient. But this whole band of brothers mentality kicks in. And I think that is really what spurs on Randy Weaver's death or Randy Weaver's wife's death and everything that's to come in the story. Mm-hmm. They need to avenge these guys. They hate everyone in that compound because they killed their friend. They killed their yeah. brother. And that's not okay. Right. It's terrible that they died, but you need to turn that off. Right. Because those are still American citizens with rights yeah. inside Absolutely. that building. And you know what? <laughs> their leader was a piece of crap, and he uh-huh. definitely made some bad choices, but they're people in there. They're not objects. They're not targets. Right. They are people. Mm-hmm. And that has to be mentioned. That's yeah. important here. So let's just really quickly go through these next couple of things here. These, these are, I've got about 12 dates that I pulled out of the 50, 51 days that were important. So okay. day one, four ATF agents are dead. Five of David Koresh's folks are dead. Koresh is actually shot in the process. Unfortunately, he didn't die. Where um, was he shot? He was shot in the hip. Um, and he actually oh. healed quite well. It wasn't in the hip joint. It was just above. Oh, okay. So it's actually kind of the ideal place to get hit. Yeah, it's not kind a, of if you didn't get hit in an organ, it's like kind of a clean spot to get shot. Yeah. So um, unfortunately as well in the process, they killed a two-year-old. Oh. But I actually don't believe it. I think Koresh killed him and then blamed the ATF because it, would give, it would give additional... A negative. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now it is entirely possible. Crossfire happens. But right. it would give... It's such a it's such a weird thing for me because you would think about it, why would a two-year-old be in any of the firefight rooms? Because the ATF didn't come in guns ablaze and they came in looking for targets and they're right. trained for that. Right. So they were looking for military-age males with firearms. They're not looking for a two-year-old. And a two-year-old wouldn't be running across the room because they prepared for the siege. Yeah. So they would have had everybody else separated. So yeah. whether or not a two-year-old actually died or whether David Koresh killed him or whatever it may be, I don't 100% believe the ATF killed him regardless of what happened. Right. 16 ATF agents were injured, by the way. There are some heart-wrenching 16. videos oh. of ATF agents being carried <laughs> off the battlefield like it was a war zone, guys. This is in America. Right. This is in heartland America, and they're being army carried by their friends with blood pouring down them. And those friends are thinking, my best friend is about to die here in my arms. There's one shot of them running away with riot shields over their heads, um, holding a guy on the hood of a car. 
that was the only way they could stabilize him, and they're pushing the car because the car is disabled. And it's, it's genuinely inspiring um, in a way that I really haven't felt as an American in a long time mm-hmm. to watch that happen because regardless of the situation, regardless of what was happening, the human element of it is so impressive. Right. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very emotional to, mm-hmm. to watch those, those images. But So day one, lots of bad stuff has happened, and now the problem is this. Any hostage negotiator wants to come in on a level playing field, or at least in a situation that is calm, or co- becoming more calm. Right. This is not an ideal place yeah. for a hostage negotiator, and it's really not an ideal place because then HRT shows up. So HRT stands for Hostage Rescue Team. They're an elite force, sometimes related to Delta Force or the Navy SEALs. Um, the, those are the most similar thing I can think of. The SEALs, by the way, far and away are more well-trained. It's just what they do. But mm-hmm. they are an FBI entity. So now you have two very large government agencies. Both of them have command posts. Both of them kind of acting autonomous, like without any coordination, really. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic from a hostage yeah. negotiation standpoint. Because, Jen, if you're a hostage negotiation negotiator and I'm a hostage negotiator and we have kind of the same idea, we want this guy to come out. You might think one thing will work. I might think another thing will work. And we're both just kind of moving on both of those things. Improv. <laughs> and, and that's basically what yeah. was happening. Yeah. Without any real chain of command, there was one hostage negotiator, but there were a million people there with their own ideas about Why did that come off that way? Because there had never been something of that scale in America. Um, David or uh, Jim Jones was in Guyana. Right. True. And he didn't even communicate. So basically we have all of these issues. <laughs> right. They have two huge agencies. And granted, the help of HRT was probably really nice. And there's some things that happened in there that I'm not going to tell you until the end that are kind of interesting. But either way, (laughs) day two, the telephone lines are cut and an armored perimeter is formed, meaning that military-style vehicles, not military vehicles per se, but police vehicles with armor on them, make a perimeter around the area. Now, don't think it's like truck to truck, but it's an armored column surrounding the area. Um, And How big is the area? um, I'm actually not sure. It's it's fairly large, though. It's it's a ranch. But... um, Basically, at this point, they do have communication with David. He's talking. And he confirms not once but twice, and this is where people start to kind of put their conspiracy hats on, Mm -hmm. that he is not planning on committing suicide. Now, this is day two of 51. A lot of things can change in the next 49 days. But day three rolls around. David Koresh, um, he made a deal. He said, okay, I will come out. I'll come out peacefully, but you guys need to give me an hour of time on the radio. Like, on the open-air radio. Why? He wanted to preach his message. And no. to the FBI, that looks like, okay, yeah, he's loony, but he genuinely believes he's what, he, what he's got. Right. So they said, cool, deal. There are speculations that they aired it on a dead channel that people couldn't hear, but still, oh, he really? played the radio. The radio was played, a recorded message for an hour on Christian radio. Um, and then he didn't come out. Well, shit. And... <laughs> <laughs> and that's when things really got bad because this is where I think it's like whole... we kept our end of the deal. What's yours? Exactly. But did they really? You said it may have. It it's may have... well. There's speculation. But okay. still, like you, I would have done the same thing. Like put it on a wavelength that isn't a thing. Or yeah, listen through because it because who knows what he's going to say and well, who it, knows it was, who he'll persuade recording. next. It was a recording. But it's like the BTK killer when he was communicating with the ba- with the uh, with the cops. He's like, "All right, I'm going to come and collect this or whatever, but you guys aren't going to be there." Promise well, me. You're like, yeah, we promise we won't be there. Well, of course they're going to be there. You're murdering people. Well, exactly. But I think the difference was that David Koresh, I think, was just kind of dumb. Either way, he, he... Apparently not. 
He records the message, sends it to them, they air it, and then he doesn't come out. And this is where it gets really bad, because their negotiator, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk shit, because I can't even imagine being in that situation, but he he just kind of went off the rails. Like, this is, by the way, once again, day three. President Clinton says, okay, we can deploy military-style vehicles. That's red flag number one. Military I forces this was all under Clinton's reign. Well, and, that. I was and like, guess what else? Guess what else was under like, Clinton's probably. reign? Ruby Ridge. <gasps> and so was Columbine. Anyway, right. continuing on, there was a lot of stuff that I was, under his, was under his reign. Columbine was under By the way, yeah, Janet yeah. Reno. Janet Reno, the I uh, can't think of what she was in charge of, but she was in charge of a lot of the FBI assets. Mm-hmm. She was sworn in during this. But either way. Um, Bless her. So Clinton agrees to allow military vehicles to be deployed, which is illegal, by the way. You cannot use military assets on a civilian populace. You can ask the National Guard to come in in the event of civil unrest, and you can ask them to come in in the event of a natural disaster, but you cannot deploy military vehicles and military tactics on civilians. That's illegal. That's a police state. Mm-hmm. And it was legalized for this. It was. They said, cool. Really? They said, cool, go it at it. It would have to pass through Congress. No, it came down from the president as an executive order, I believe, because that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, would to allow make it, it that happen. quick and like... And so now you have military vehicles on your compound. Now let's just rewind a bit. There will be an invading army who will come to slaughter your children. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Basically, now all of Koresh's followers are saying, holy crap, he was right. And uh-huh. what's actually happening is they're just trying to desperately get their hands oh, around something. And then day six comes around, and a little girl named Heather Jones comes out with a note around her neck. Now, when I read this at first, I was like, they're going to shoot her. They're going to shoot her. Don't shoot the girl. Don't shoot the girl. But they didn't. Okay, good. Um, I was like, oh, my God. So she, she comes out with a note around her neck, and it says, when all the children have left, the adults will die. Um, now, remember... Four days ago, he was saying, we're not going to commit suicide, right? Four days ago. So they call up David, and they say, hey, what gives? And he says, oh, ignore that. And they're like, but you sent the note. It's not like you like, oops, butt dial. It's like you <laughs> sent a child. Uh, butt dial. What's that note around the child's name? Sorry, Sorry, butt dial that. suicide note. Uh, yeah. Ooh, like, that's a band name right there. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like, my metal band, butt dial suicide note. Anyway, continue. <laughs> but that's weird that he's like, oh yeah, ignore NBD. It's like, seemed pretty intentional there. And yeah. I want, But I want you guys to remember this because he says... All the adults will die, right? So keep that in mind. I'm not going to tell you why. Day seven comes around, and the Branch Davidians on the phone say that they are worried that the FBI will burn down the complex um, to avoid giving evidence out. There's a reason that I have that day flagged. Let's put it that way. Day 10, the electricity is cut off, then restored, and then the Branch Davidians start to reinforce. The reason it's restored is because... They cut off the power, which is actually a pretty good bargaining chip because it's something right. where you can just say, yeah, we'll turn the power on. You just need to send us a few hostages. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all you got to do. Uh, just give me a couple. That's it. Turn the power right back on. Gosh, can you imagine nowadays they turn the power off? Oh my gosh, the Wi-Fi. Please, all they have to do is turn off <laughs> Wi-Fi. I have to yeah, Jen gets yeah, on the phone. Please turn the power back on. Are they going 2%. to shoot? Are they, are they going to shoot you? No, my phone's about to die. 2%. 2%. So, so this is the thing. The problem was that they kept doing this really dumb thing. David Koresh was actually relatively... He worked slightly well. I wouldn't say super well, but he was giving hostages out. He was sending people out. Turns out the reason he was doing that was because he felt that they were not strong enough. They weren't going to help the cause. Most of the time, 
with sociopathic oh. uh, cult leaders or even hostage takers. They'll just kill people like that. So it's unique that he sent them out mm-hmm. because they were immediately arrested as people that were accessory to what he was doing. So he sends a couple groups of people out, some children, older ladies, people that look good on TV coming yeah, out. Literally. Right? Yeah, literally. The look, is, the look children, is really like, good. Because that's usually... It's like the Titanic. That... Who do you say? Grandma's <laughs> little Sophie here. Leah freaking Nardo DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> Not him. Wood tap. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> man's a silver fox. But, uh, so, basically, he's he actually has kind of a good look on TV, but he's also being demonized in the media. He knows now, how to do Now, once it, again, man. total piece of shit. Yeah. Not on his side, but he's doing the right things as far as hostage negotiation goes, up to a point. They turned the power off, and he was like, I'm done. Like, rip this. I'm done. And they, he, so they tried to call him, David, there's something no, power no. out. And he was like, yeah, no shit, turn it back on, or I start shooting people. Like, <laughs> But like, he didn't say that about his people, but he's like, right. we'll, um, we'll, we'll come for you. Mm, like, mm, we'll start shooting. Still not you. great, yeah. but... So they said, oh, okay, yeah, we're good. Turn the power back on. Great, great work, by the way. What the hell? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, power goes back on, and when the power goes back on, they can see them arming up the windows. So, they're putting in gun ports in all the windows. So, they're cutting pieces out of the wood so you can stick a rifle barrel through, but it's harder to see people in the window. Oh, boy. Uh, Which, by the way, didn't matter because they had thermal optics, but oh well. Um, So, basically, power goes off. It's restored. They start reinforcing. Power goes off the next day. It's restored the day after that. So why don't they just leave it off? Well, because they're just they, they don't know what they're doing, frankly. It's and I don't really true, even think it was yeah, that. You said that. I, I think that it was more along the lines of the negotiators are well trained. They understand what they're doing, but they're going off of a playbook that says ATF says this, FBI says this, ATF says this, FBI says this. So you uh, have this yeah. this pr- kind of breakdown where both of them kind of respect each other mutually, but they can't make a cohesive decision. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? For one hour. Okay, so we'll have to break it up into two. Are we? Yeah. Because well, well, let's just continue on. Anyway. Um, we're already on day 15 anyway. So yeah, let's just finish off. I think that's okay. So day 13 comes around and this is a turning point. So the electric is cut off completely on day 13. And the reason given is very telling. He's the commanding officer said, I want them to be cold and damp like those soldiers sitting out in the field. Now, the reason that I feel like that's telling is because that shows that there was a far greater emotional attachment to that decision Mm -hmm. than a tactical choice that was made. So basically, yeah. that guy was pissed. He was so sick of this, and he was just really mad and wanted to make him suffer. Right. And it just continues to spiral. So keep in mind, you're trying to create rapport with this guy, not piss him off, yeah. right? And the next, so the day that they cut off the power, nothing happens. But the next day, they start spotlighting. They start putting up these huge spotlights and shining them into the house to keep them from falling asleep. Um, oh. So... That would do me in. I'd be oh, like, all right. It gets worse. It gets worse. Every couple sleep. hours, they're using a megaphone to say, David, we know you're in there. Please come out. And so they're yelling this all throughout the night. Oh, no, no, no. The next day, the music starts happening. And I wrote down what they chose because, dear God, <laughs> like, you could not have picked. Oh, okay, here we go. They started by playing These Boots Are Made For Walking by Nancy Sinatra on repeat (laughs) for several hours. Then they started playing Phones Off The Hook on repeat for several hours. And this is, by the way, through loudspeakers that they've positioned around the building. That would torture me more than anything. The sound sound of rabbits dying. Um, 
monk chants, Tibetan monk chants. Do you realize how freaky that would be? Oh, I'm like, that sounds kind of soothing. Well, you would you would think that, but it would be. It's like this deep guttural sound. So it's like the sound of doom coming. I'll have to Google a monk chant. So and don't do it at night. Um, She listens to it at work. She's like, (laughs) (laughs) but I think potentially worst of all and, and most evil, they played Christmas music. Because Christmas music uh, is the fucking worst. Um, whatever. Especially in the summertime. That's I, my I, favorite. Honey. Christmas in July. Hearing, oh, picture God. hearing Mary Did You Know repeated 120 times keeping you awake It'll all night. It'll be a tearjerker the, like, <laughs> the whole time. The whole time. If you play that Godforsaken Kelly Clarkson Christmas song where her vibrato is just... So, <sighs> so they play all of this Not all night every long. Every time you get in my car now. It, it <laughs> and and they do this for days on end. It starts on day 22. By day 25, they're still doing it. And then on day 25, like the negotiator just loses it on David. He tells him that what he's preaching is false. His religion is false. It's he's doing more work on the negotiator than yeah, it is him. Yeah. He's, he's so sick of Nancy freaking Sinatra. But, uh, so, Plays boots on the walking. So he, he ends up just getting in a verbal fist fight with David. And that's kind of where it ends with any ability to really talk to him because the communication just breaks down. From there in all of the notes I read, it's like very limited communication. They go from seven hours of conversation at the beginning of the negotiations to like 46 minutes. Oh, wow. Huge. So just massive drop off, especially because David was a talker. Now, on day 26, and you'll just start to see that this is getting more and more vindictive and less and less tactical as time goes on. On day 26, they seize all of the non-necessary vehicles on the compound that are acting like kind of a bar- like a barrier wall. So there's a bunch of go-karts and stuff like that on the on the compound and motorcycles, like little 50s. And they seize all of them. The FBI just pulls them all off in the name of clearing the space in the event of the need to go into the building. But then they string up concertina wire, which is very sharp razor wire. It's what you Ooh, see around yeah. the top mm-hmm. of uh, all of the prisons. 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 Yeah. And then the next day helicopters start buzzing the compound in the middle of the night. They're not doing anything. They're just buzzing the compound to keep them awake. So this is becoming more and more and more spiteful and less and less and less tactical. This is day 27. Nothing really changes. You have music, spotlights, sounds of dying rabbits, helicopters buzzing your compound for the next few days. Matter of fact, let me do the math here, 15 days of that. Oh my gosh. And that's when David Koresh sends out a letter signed Yahweh. And that's kind of another snapping point. So Yahweh is the... Yahweh? Yahweh. 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 It's, it's the old, I think it's Israeli or is it Hebraic? One of, one of them. One it, of them. It, it designates son of God. So it means he has once again crowned himself as Jesus Christ, essentially. And that's mm. when the tear gas insertion plan begins. So basically the concept was... Well, okay, how does president do that sooner? Well... That's the interesting For real, part. I would do that before dying rabbits. So they right? they basically had this concept, we're going to punch holes in the wall with these metal vehicles that look big like forklifts, and then we'll just insert CS gas. And CS gas is like tear gas, but it burns your lungs. So it doesn't... Oh, you it like have it, to get out. It won't kill you. But it like you, you could potentially go into like an anaphylactic shock or cardiac arrest, but it's going to take a lot. You'd have to basically lay there in it. It's But it but it burns your eyes and it's nasty. It's like pepper spray on crack. Yeah, I was going to say something. So they had decided all these points in the building they were going to hit to fill the whole building up with CS gas um, and just get them to leave. You know, it's kind of the whole smoke them out concept. And then they would just kind of wait and grab them as they came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had that approved on day 42. On day 49, and this is probably one of the more vindictive moves they made, this footage is uniquely disturbing, and I don't really know why, but it's this video. Remember I told you uh, military vehicles were approved? Mm-hmm. It's, a vi- it's a video of a literal full-size tank 
driving up to their compound. And there's something very wrong about a tank driving up to a yeah. church, regardless mm, yeah. regardless of Just that in. image alone is... Yeah. And it's got a big American flag up on the top of it. You remember how in like Vietnam they had the flag that was on the back? It's got one of those, and it runs over the top of David's prized Camaro, um, which is kind of an F you. Yeah. But they yeah. said that it needed to be done in order to move the vehicle off the premise. Yeah. No. Anyway. And once again, I am not siding in any way with David Koresh, but what I'm saying is that these FBI agents are acting like toddlers. They have to be, in a sense, the bigger person, which in a lot of ways they are, but there's some things that but you're you doing. But you killed their friend, and so now you're done, right? Yeah. So yeah. they run over his Camaro with a tank, and I don't know why, but the footage is just disturbing, because like, I don't like David. But the American flag waving above it is just so poignant in some yeah. ways. So, they destroy his Camaro, and that's kind of the beginning of the end. Um, they yeah. had a big tower above the complex. If you look it up, you'll see it. It's a big tower mm-hmm. on the outside of the complex. And the FBI had said, don't go in the tower. If you go in the tower, we will assume that you have a rifle and we will end you. And so instead, they held up a little kid in one of the windows of the tower so that they wouldn't shoot because rules of engagement. And the kid was holding a sign, and this to this day chills me. The sign said, flames await. And the next day, the CS plan went ahead. So these big trucks roll up. It's also really eerie footage. They roll up, they impact the wall, and they start just pouring CS gas into, uh. the, wall, into, the, into the building. And that's when the fire starts. Um, Another fire. The, the building goes up. Just boom. Like instant. It's not quite instant, but you see smoke and then just roiling flames oh coming out now of the building. Now that gas isn't flammable. CS is gas is incredibly flammable. Is it? Okay. Um, and so this is where kind of things get really bad. So David had, and this is the official account, and I for one believe it, but there are some things we'll talk about. David had instructed his followers to dump gasoline and diesel fuel all over the compound prior to the attack. That's what flames await meant. Um, hmm. it's also why I found it interesting that earlier they mentioned twice that they're worried the FBI is going to burn the place down to avoid showing evidence, but they clearly had a plan. Um, they lit the whole place on fire and David didn't let anyone leave. Now it's interesting that he had released everybody he thought was his less obedient followers because when they found the bodies, they'd been shot, stabbed, beaten to death, oh. um, various ones. And then David had a, had a gunshot wound to the head. So he had asked his number two to shoot him, and based upon the body that they found next to him, the number two had shot him and shot himself. Shot himself. So took the coward's way out, um, burned a bunch of people alive. There's actually some footage of a woman jumping out of a second floor room um, as the fire engulfs the building. And the really creepy part, she runs back into the building. (gasps) What? They believed he was a prophet. So she like kind of regretted it and was like, oh no, I should. I don't think it was a regret. I think she was getting out to get back in. Oh, shut up. So the whole place is on fire. No survivors. 76 people died. Um, Oh my gosh. How tall was this building? uh, It's two stories, not not including the tower. But um, I mean, if you think about it, the whole loss of life is because. And how, so that's how the whole set, how many did you say? 74? I think it was 76. 76? Yeah. That was the entire congregation or what? That was the congregation that was left. Now, this is the interesting part. They were all willing to die for David because he told them they would come back to Earth in six months and they would achieve vengeance on their cat on the on the ATF. I don't get how. Okay, like there has to be some point in these cults where you're like, "Mm." okay, they have forty three thousand dollars worth of guns in the building. They have (laughs) explosives. They have fully automatic weapons, and they're told they're unkillable. 
And they believe every word he says. They're unkillable because of those things, honestly. It's not like you're You would some... think so, and yet, but basically... You know, look at Scientology. They're telling people, you can heal your cancer by coming to treatment. No, I think you're thinking of essential oils. <laughs> Don't tear <laughs> you mean? One. But, uh, well, yeah, they're like, if you come in and work on your OTs, you'll be able to master your body so that you can kill the cancer. No, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Mind over matter, definitely. Yeah, totally get it. Is it going to cure your cancer entirely? No. 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 Well, and that's actually just the tip of it. So that's what happens for the whole kind of running line of David Koresh. But outside of the compound, we've already talked about the media turning it into a circus. There was another group that turned it into a circus, and that was the right-wing gun nuts. Because they showed up to protest the federal government. You know, you guys are here to take their guns away. That's what they made this all about. All of these people who died, died in the name of right-wing people saying it was about guns. It was not about guns. It was about religious belief and about a, one very loony pedophile. But yeah. right, basically, they show up and they're like, I kid you not, guys, there was a hill three miles away. They would give tours. They were like waiting there. Like it was like they were, eva- they were like evangelists for the freaking Branch Davidian right of owning a gun. Seriously. So they have telescopes set up so that you can see the compound, and they're basically showing the death of 70 people, you know, slow motion, obviously, it hadn't happened yet, but right. on, you know, just like showing, and people would show up, it was like a mecca for the crazy, like, I don't get how people, but people do that. felt moved, so they showed yeah, up there. Think of all the people who showed up to go to Storm in Area 51. Well, like, or, that's or, not to that's, die, that's, that's just to start, fulfill my curiosity. That was started as a joke, but they, but they showed up and it, felt so. like it was like a righteous cause. There's footage of this lady and she's running around yelling, You're next, you're next, don't you see it, you're next, and like pointing at it. And it's kind of like, Yeah, that's the village crazy lady, but um, <laughs> but <laughs> there was, somebody let out Aunt Betty, they, they, were, <laughs> they were selling t shirts, they were selling hats, like all of this stuff. And there was one guy Gotta there. Gotta capitalize, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, there was one guy there selling freaking bumper stickers, and his name was Tim McVeigh. Oh, Tim oh. McVeigh. So Tim McVeigh Dirty is there dog. selling freaking bumper stickers. He was also at Ruby Ridge, right? He was. That's what I'm saying. So Tim McVeigh is making this kind of <laughs> pilgrimage around all of these different sites. And I mean, in his defense, 1992, Ruby Ridge, 1993, Waco... It would look like the New World Order if that's what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's what he sees is this police state. So there's actually this picture of him sitting on the hood of his car with his bumper stickers. Yeah, I think you showed me when mm-hmm. we talked about I zoomed in on it. I started reading the bumper stickers. And one of them said, um, never trust a government that doesn't trust you with a gun. And I was like, hmm. well, I get your point, Tim, but you also blew a lot of people up. Yeah, so, uh, like you're a little... He didn't use a gun and he still hurt people. And yeah. so, I mean, Tim's there. That's interesting. But here's the controversies. And they're actually pretty limited compared especially to Ruby Ridge. First off, who shot first? Right. So that is a really big point because if the Branch Davidians shot first, that's cut and dried, right? That's the ATF right. yeah. defending themselves. But there's this whole discrepancy and it's very light um, where they had the front doors because that was where the first entry team hit. And the front doors were submitted as evidence by the federal government that the other guys shot first. The problem is it's a bullet-riddled mess. Like, right. there's bullets going both ways. Yeah. It's hard so to tell. there's no real way to tell. But there was one guy, and it was Biasteros, who was one of the uh, assault force, who said he thought initially, so he gave two reports. In the initial report, he said it was the dog team that shot first. The dog team was the FBI assault team going in and wiping out the dogs that were on the compound because they were trained attack dogs. Oh my gosh. So 
there's a problem with that in the fact that I don't know what rights you have as a, like an owner of an animal. I think you can kill a dog without any repercussions. Uh, if you kill my dog, you're I don't even have one. I have a cat. But if you did, also don't kill Trish. <laughs> um. She's a vicious, trained. Attack mean cat. Attack cat. She is so ferocious. But, but that's the thing. So I don't I don't know if you can like, like I don't know if it's shooting first if you shoot an animal, which <laughs> interestingly enough is the question mark in Randy Weaver's case. But either way, Peta up in here and have but, that. But man think about this: yeah. Randy Weaver, they shot a dog first. British Davidians, like they shot a dog first. But either way, they're like, look, it's kind of a gray area. Let's take out the Chihuahua and see what happens. <laughs> <Chihuahua>. like, <laughs> okay, you know that if David Koresh had a Chihuahua, it was wearing a sweater. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, but either way, they so they so he initially said, yeah, it was the it was the dog team. The second time around, though, he said it was the Branch Davidians Ooh. in two different reports. So there's this big question mark of, okay, was this whole thing the ATF's fault? So. We don't have an answer on that. There's never been a definitively proved answer, but evidence has been conveniently lost that would show either side of the oh, equation. The other Hate it when that happens. The other side of this, and this is almost funny. Like this, this is just so, so classic early '90s ATF FBI bullshit. They didn't have any helicopters armed with machine guns, right? Because they're a non-military operation, right? So they don't have anything that's got a minigun on it. So they go over to the freaking airfield near them from the National Guard, and they say, hey, there's a drug bust going on up the hill. We need to borrow your helicopters. Shut and up. they took the helicopters. Seriously. Under false pretenses. And also, in every report I found, it's acknowledged and then just glossed right over. Like, they're like, yeah, no, no, they're like, so, and then back uh, to the important it, stuff. It like, like, it it's like, like the writing just gets smaller like, and smaller. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, no. It went like this. It was like, <laughs> did you or did you not fake take a helicopter? Yes, we did. Moving on. Go on. <laughs> Continue. Seriously. So, then the other half of this, and this one is interesting, because you know how the uh, FBI just vehemently claims that they started the fire? The Branch Davidians, rather, started the fire? They used pyrotechnic CS gas. So there are cans of CS gas that use a burning explosive on the inside of them to emanate CS. However, they were exonerated because in 1999, it was admitted that they used those. But in 2008, a, uh, the Danforth report came out and the Danforth report showed that those were fired into a water laden area off the side of the compound. They had like a pool of fresh water. Uh -huh. So they were shot towards that and both landed there. So there was this whole conspiracy of, oh, well, we found flammable CS gas containers inside the wreckage. And it was like, yeah, because they were shot elsewhere. Right. So that's totally debunked. Are you sure it wasn't Ryan that started the fire? <laughs> it was his cheese pizza. <laughs> I was like, wait, when you started talking, I was like, wait, who's Ryan? David, <laughs> David Koresh left a cheese pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Um, I know. I'm sorry. But then the FBI didn't do themselves any favor. And this is the one I, I feel like is a good kind of cliffhanger for you. Okay. The FBI, less than a month after this all goes down, bulldozed the site. Mm. Less than a month. Wait, I'm sorry. The compound? The, the yeah. compound. Where the, all the evidence is, is now plummeted to the ground. Bulldozed. Beesh, like, come on. Bulldozed. So, if you... Just fun hint for you here, FBI. If you want to be taken seriously, maybe don't destroy evidence. Seriously? Right? So, One month later? So, I mean, we've debunked a lot of I can of see the... maybe a few years later after they've been able to study everything and really go over all of it, but a month? Not to mention not the enough. fact that... The fire trucks didn't show up till 30 minutes after the fire started. So mm -hmm. there's a bunch That's of... That's almost kind of weird to me that especially, especially after the little girl... Well, and especially the given window. the circumstances of... You know, you'd have ambulances on, on wait, right? Yeah. In case he goes like, nuts and starts shooting yeah, Absolutely. So why wasn't a fire truck there? 
Then there's also the fact that at one point, and I found footage of this, so I know it's real, mm-hmm. there are two inmates in their Branch Davidians that were released. They're handcuffed, and there's kind of a... They're released? Well, they were released from the compound and then immediately arrested. Oh, so I thought you meant like they were just released. they're being moved from one cell block to another, and there's a media guy standing on the side of the prison with his hands on the fence, yelling questions to them as they're being moved from block to block. Which, by the way... Commitment. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> Wait, hang on. Okay, so at the time, was the fire department a volunteer fire department? Because otherwise... I, I didn't research it, so I can't speak to that. I was going to say, I could understand that if it was a volunteer fire department, but if it's a full-time oh my fire God. department... But yeah, Dark so... Darkness <laughs> Sorry, I was like, well, I was like maybe we should open this so the sun can come in. Oh, there's no sun out there. So, <laughs> basically, the fire trucks don't show up, right? And, well, they show up 30 minutes later, but going back to it, the inmates that are being questioned, one of them yells, we had enough food for a year, why would we start a fire? And that question has stuck with me because it was proven that they did. The food stores were... In the building. In, in the building, were stocked. So, I, if, if I was going to say, here's what I think happened, I think David Koresh self-immolated. I think they covered the place in gasoline, they lit it on fire, but it still poses a question. Why were fire trucks not there? Right. Yeah. Why would they have a year's worth of stocked food? Now, David Cress isn't exactly a sane human being, but... Right. And he'd been up for 51 days, but... I mean, really, that's a that's a chilling question, right? Why would we start the fire? Like, he was like, in huh. the compound and he asks that question. Why would we start a fire? So, that's probably one of the more eerie ones. Um, I think that's probably a good spot for us to kind of cut it here, but... Now, these, the two that were arrested from the prison, they oh, were... Oh, there was more than two. There was a bunch of them. They, I think they're still in prison right now. Was this after the fire? This was pre-fire, right? Was, this is after the fire, because they're being asked the questions about the fire. I Oh, I thought everybody died. No, David had released a lot of hostages prior to that point. Do you remember? Before the fire, yes. Before the fire. So they weren't in there when the fire was... But they was... knew about what was going on. Okay. So, I want... in that moment... You I want to ask a question here, guys. So, we have Ruby Ridge. We have Waco. Two very separate, very different events. What's next? Just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what will they, they think up next? Um, but uh, we have both of these events, and both of them seem to be following very similar playbooks. They're a year apart, and yet, what did we learn? They haven't learned anything. They haven't learned anything. And what's crazy is you'd think that with it being so close to each other, they'd be like, oh yeah, we did this r- way wrong I think in their time. minds it was a different playbook. You know what I mean? It was Totally. A, it was, oh, this is a cult, totally different. But, but this, yeah. let's think about how this starts. Somebody shoots a dog. Somebody fired first, but no one knows who. They show up with overwhelming military force, and they over-brutalize a group of people to the point where they go a little bit loony. Suicide is threatened, and in the case of Randy Weaver, he's talked out of it. In the case of David Koresh, he follows through with Randy. And so I feel like there's definitely this odd culture in the FBI in the 90s that says we do not negotiate with domestic terrorists because mm-hmm. there's a plague of domestic terrorists and they must all be treated as domestic terrorists. Right. And David Koresh, at that point, frankly, was not a domestic terrorist. They cite the reason for going in with overwhelming forces. They felt that he would kick off his own apocalypse if he wasn't provoked. But let's let's take a, just a small step back to MK Ultra, where we learned that the government decided they could do whatever the crap they wanted. Yep. And that's exactly what's happening here. Different. I mean, MKUltra, they were studying things. This is a complete different scenario, but it does fall in the same line of the government thinks they can do whatever the crap. Government's they want. a honey badger. Yeah. Yep. So I think my big question for you guys is 
A, did he commit suicide? Just your your gut feelings on it. David? B, yeah. I mean, did he was was the fire started by the Branch Davidians or the FBI? B, who do you guys think shot first? And C, do you think the FBI learned anything? It's kind of hard for me to answer because I think about, like, if you're a prisoner and you made it and you're being interviewed, like, in certain moments, especially with all that, like, delirium inside that building, I feel like a lot of things could have changed really quickly. Yeah. Where he's like, you know what? F it. We're, we're not going to get well, through this. You know, like, like yeah, cool. Have, yeah. So I'm just <laughs> right. kind of like, well, I mean, the guy, the prisoner who yelled that, it does make you think, but then it also makes you think he wasn't actually like in there near the end. Well, in a sense, but. Well, we don't know when, I don't know exactly when he was released, so you're right. right. But it, it just kind of makes me like, well, things could have changed in there. That's a very intense, tense situation where it's almost like your mind is just kind of screwed up in a different way by. Sleep deprivation, yeah. no power, all these crazy sounds like you're going crazy. So I well, feel like things could have changed I mean, pretty quickly. Yeah. But the conspiracy in me likes to say, no, they didn't start the fire, but... And I'll I, give you this. The fire marshals do show evidence of a gas-built fire. So you can see, like, the flame effect of the wall is clearly formed from a low layer, like a layer uh-huh. of low-hanging gas. Uh-huh. But CS gas is literally a gas, too. So I'm just saying. Hmm. I and but I don't think they learned anything from it. Had they left the building and studied the building on what had happened, I'm sorry, but a month is not nearly enough time. Well, hello, they obviously did that, that for a purpose. So, like yeah, they probably exactly. found something like, oh, let's go incriminate us. Well, and I yeah. mean, if you think about it, Ruby Ridge was happening simultaneous to the investigation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, months apart. So, yeah, they clearly didn't learn something from it. At least not immediately. We're going to lead into something else that has happened that they didn't learn from. They, they clearly didn't learn from it, but I do want to put one little spark of happy into this equation here real quick. Um, so Randy Weaver's daughter, who was up on the mountain with him. She made it, right? She did. That's who I was thinking. I was like, wait, which yep, one his, made it? His daughter, who was on the mountain with him, in an interview I watched, says that the FBI now uses the Weaver case as a classic do not do this. And they are sent through a week-long study on the Weaver case. A week. A full oh. week of their training. Okay. Um, is, is spent looking at the Weaver case. And they're, set, and they're told, here is what you don't do. So that's a slight bright star on the horizon. That tells right. me that at least now, the FBI has learned at least something from the Weaver case. But I'm going to agree with Kyle on this. I think that the FBI clearly didn't learn its lesson. And that it wouldn't learn its lesson for a long time, clearly. Right. Yeah. But it also didn't realize it was now creating another enemy. Um, and that enemy was Tim McVeigh. Mm-hmm. And Tim McVeigh, dun, dun, dun. Tim McVeigh decided that he was going to bring that right to their doorstep, quite literally. Um, yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about next time I get to join you. Next time! Oh. Yeah. Is that our yeah. outro? Love it. <laughs> and then it just ends. <laughs> <laughs> I have been the lovely Zane. Man, that was good. Yes. Was good. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to not join a cult. Don't steal. The government hates competition. (laughs) (laughs) And don't trust the government.